Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. We've revamped the format of our Crimes of the Month series to give it a bit of a facelift, but the video is still going to focus on crime news and updates from previous cases. Today, we'll be covering a case update from our previous coverage of the Gilgo Beach Rex Heuerman arrest. Four new witnesses have come forward and link the wife to Heuerman's crimes. Next is the odd case of missing person Nancy Ng. Then, a case update to our video on the murder of Riley Whitelaw. Then, a woman's body was discovered dismembered in a dumpster. Her husband, Sam Haskell, has been arrested. And then last, funeral directors in Colorado were arrested for improperly storing remains, and 190 bodies were found on their property. Earlier this month, our video on the arrest of Rex Heuerman went live. We had been watching the case since the announcement of the arrest in August and had been working on that video for weeks while more information about the Gilgo Beach murders trickled out to the press. At the time we had posted, we hadn't really thought any more bombshells were going to be announced until the trial, which is set to start in February 2024. But I was wrong, and every week since we posted that video, there have been multiple significant updates to the case. So first, we're going to start with something that isn't really that serious, just an odd thing that kind of stuck out for me. Essa Ellerup, Rex's wife of almost 30 years, has been in the news a lot recently. First is that she has signed on for a million-dollar documentary contract with Peacock and NBC. Along with Ellerup, their two children, both in their 20s, and their lawyers involved have been reported to have signed six-figure contracts with the news network. Ellerup has also been attending court appearances with the documentary crew in tow. She's also made a few statements to the media. One was asking for their guns back from forensics. Another has been vague support of Heuerman and kind of an odd statement that she had only recently filed for divorce in an attempt to shield herself from future lawsuits. In connection with that statement, Heuerman has signed over all of their properties to Ellerup in full, which seemed to be a way of protecting their assets. So now, into the more serious updates. The Suffolk County District Attorney has announced that new DNA evidence connecting Heuerman to other cases has been submitted to a grand jury. Once the grand jury has made its decision, new charges can be put forward. Next is the bombshell that was announced and the whole reason I needed to get going on a case update. The other stuff was kind of just things I discovered on the way. Four new witnesses have come forward, two have already signed official affidavits, and the other two are said to be finalizing things and their affidavits will be released soon. In both witness testimonies of the affidavits we have, related to cases Heuerman has not been charged with yet. The first witness is a woman who claims to have met 
both Rex and Asa at their home to engage in consensual sexual activity. She said that in the 90s, she had been dating a man who liked to swing. She said that while they had been together, they often went to swingers clubs in New York and were also active in a message board, which allowed them to meet with other couples looking to swing privately. She stated that her partner had been a police officer at the time, and the members of the swingers clubs that they attended was primarily other members of law enforcement and the New York judicial system. She said that in February of 1996, around Valentine's Day, her partner responded to a private party at a Long Island home in Massapequa Park and arranged an evening with the well-known couple, Rex Hureman and his wife, Asa. Rex had asked them to bring a sex worker with them, and she remembers the woman as looking like Karen Vergata, but couldn't remember her name. Though even if she had asked, Karen likely wouldn't have even given her real name one of the victims that would be later discovered at Kelgo Beach. She said that they arrived at the home late, and she stayed upstairs while Karen, her boyfriend, and Rex went down to the basement of the home. She had stayed upstairs with Asa. She said that she'd been at the home for a few hours, and she detailed what the home had looked like inside, and apparently it matched some of the identifiers law enforcement had also noted in the home. She stated that when they'd been about to leave, she saw Karen at the window. She was naked and appeared to be screaming for help. She noted the woman looked scared and asked her boyfriend about it, and he said that the woman was playing a game and it was fine. She said that it had been a memory that haunted her. Lastly, the initials of the boyfriend were only in the documents as RW, and she stated he had complained on the way home about losing a belt while he was there. Maybe this is the link to the initials on the belt Hureman had used to allegedly bind Maureen Brainerd Barnes. The witness said that they came forward when Rex Hureman had been arrested, and when Karen Vergata's photo was shown as a possibly connected victim. She remembers her face vividly as the sex worker that they had brought with them to the Hureman's home. Though a significant amount of time has passed since 1996, she said that the encounter had always stuck with her, and law enforcement believed it was a credible statement given the number of details she'd been able to recall that matched what detectives knew of the case. No word yet on whether the boyfriend, who would also be a potential witness, will come forward or if he will be brought in by the courts as a witness. The other concerning statement was made by a taxi driver who believes Shannon Gilbert was in her cab following a scary encounter with Rex Hureman at a motel. This would have been months before Shannon made the 911 call and disappeared. The cab driver stated that it had been late one night when she was asked by her dispatcher to pick up a woman at the Sayville Motor Lodge. She'd been advised by her dispatcher that the woman who had called was locked in the bathroom of the motel room and that the woman was upset. She seemed scared and had specifically requested a female cab driver. She said that once she found the correct room, she parked and waited. After a couple minutes, she started flashing her lights into the room. Then a couple minutes after that, she started honking and flashing her lights. After a couple of minutes of making quite a bit of noise, she saw a man emerge from the motel room. The man had placed his arms over his face, but she could tell he was a very large man, white, with a lot of white in his hair, and she said that he had, quote, a bit of a belly. She said that she watched him get into his vehicle, a greenish-gray SUV, and drive off. Once the man drove off, a petite woman came out of the hotel room. 
She described her likeness to be very similar to Shannon Gilbert and said that the girl was shaking and crying. She said that she felt that the girl was terrified. As they drove, the two chatted for a bit. She said that the girl said that she'd met the man off of Craigslist and he had said he was rich and would take care of her. She said that he'd placed a thick envelope on the bedside table and said that at the end of the night, the whole envelope was hers. She went on to say that while the man was in the washroom, she opened up the envelope and it was filled with folded, torn paper. When she asked the man about it, he became furious and started to get super aggressive. That was when she locked herself in the bathroom and called the taxi company. The cab driver said that they spoke of family, of life, and just made small talk while the cab driver took her to the train station. She wanted to take the 2 a.m. train back into New York City. The taxi driver said that it would be years later that she would recognize the woman who had been in her cab so many years ago. It had been when Rex Hureman had been arrested. She recognized a girl from news coverage featuring Shannon Gilbert's murder case, and she recognized the girl's voice from the 911 call. State police. Yeah, there's somebody after me. I'm sorry? There's somebody after me. Where are you? There's somebody after me. Oh, are you okay? What are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? Please, stop. If this witness statement turns out to be factual, this could offer an explanation as to what might have happened the night Shannon was murdered. Maybe Rex had been in that house, and that was why she'd been so terrified. We won't know the status of these witness testimonies, likely until trial. Both of the statements will need to go through a fact-checking process because at this point, they are just statements, but I'm interested to learn if they are in fact facts. This is gearing up to be a lengthy trial, and if this is how it's going to be before it's even started, it's going to be eye-opening for sure. Up next, we have a 29-year-old California woman who's gone missing while in a yoga retreat in Guatemala. Nancy Ng left her home in Monterey Park, California on October 14th and jumped on a plane to head to a yoga retreat at Lake Adelan for what was supposed to be a week of relaxation and grounding. Nancy had attended the retreat in 2022 and had loved it so much that she booked a second trip as soon as she'd been able. However, only days after her arrival, her family back in California were notified by the retreat operators that Nancy had gone missing. The Ng family wasn't given a lot of information about Nancy's disappearance and were extremely distressed. Eddie Ramada, LA-based yoga instructor who was leading the Be The Change retreat, said that according to one of the other attendees, Christina Blazik, she and Nancy had been out in kayaks but were away from the group, and she claims that Nancy hopped out of her kayak to swim, and when Blazik wasn't looking, Nancy disappeared under the water. Then, that was it. Despite a swift response from law enforcement, the Ng family didn't get much information as to what had happened to Nancy, which was a shock. Tonight, the desperate search for Nancy Ng, a California woman who vanished from a yoga retreat in Guatemala. We just really want to find Nancy and bring her home. Um, we want the truth. We want to understand what happened. The 29-year-old from Monterey Park disappearing near Lake Atitlan, a tourist hotspot popular for retreats and wellness getaways, a place Nancy had visited once before. She had gone in, on the same um, Guatemalan yoga retreat last year as well. Um, same host, um, mostly the same itinerary as well. But she loved it so much she wanted to go back again. 
and many of the other retreat attendees had left Guatemala the day after Nancy had disappeared, returning back to the U.S. before authorities even had a chance to speak to them. They'd also discovered that the kayak company that had rented the kayaks to the group had been the ones to raise concerns about the missing woman. Ten people had gone out and ten boats returned, but only nine people came out of the lake. Nancy Ng's family says this is the last known video of her taken October 19th and has now been provided to rescuers. The 29-year-old was on a yoga retreat when she went on a kayaking excursion in the remote area of Lake Atalan and disappeared. According to Elaine and Lee Beal, who run Kayak Guatemala, this yoga group of 10 people set out on the water in the morning, their employee taking this photo. When the group returned, there were only eight that returned. But we could see in the distance, of a distance of about 100 yards, two single kayaks. Those two kayakers were Ng and another woman. We watched them as they continued paddling until we lost sight of them. A distress signal called in. The next thing Elaine Beal says she sees. I witnessed the survivor being ushered up the steps with the yoga instructor. She was clearly distressed. And... They didn't say a word to us. But no sign of Nancy Ng. The Beals say they called the group's hotel the next morning because they hadn't been paid, only to learn they were gone. I just don't understand that part of leaving within eight hours of, you know, 12 hours of the accident. It was bizarre circumstances and confusing behavior, not only from the company responsible for keeping everyone safe, but also the other attendees. Days went by without any answers and no signs of Nancy Ng. Nancy was athletic, a strong swimmer, and was adventurous, but wasn't reckless. And the Ng family couldn't understand why more wasn't done by the retreat to find Nancy when they learned that she'd gone missing. Theory that Nancy had jumped out of her kayak and drowned didn't make sense. Why had the woman who had last been seen with Nancy, a California attorney no less, not cooperated with the FBI initially? And why had she changed her travel plans to leave hours after Nancy had disappeared? In the meantime, the Ng family hired their own search operation team when local authorities had decided to stop searching for Nancy. They secured a helicopter team in case Nancy had made out of the water. Divers, boat operators, and also coordinated with locals who were aiding in the search. However, they didn't have any idea what part of the lake Nancy had disappeared in, as the retreat goers weren't responding to authorities' pleas to give them more specific information. For weeks, they searched and did what they could to find Nancy. Nancy's sister asked a question when speaking to the media, quote, Why wouldn't the retreat attendees come forward if nothing nefarious happened? On November 16th, nearly four weeks after Nancy's disappearance, there were now reports that those who had last been with Nancy were now cooperating with the FBI. An attorney for Krista Blazik had stated that the delay in making a statement with the FBI was in part because of what she had experienced in Guatemala was deeply traumatizing. Though it was probably more traumatizing for the Ng family not knowing what happened to Nancy. To say that my client hasn't done all she can is just not true. The attorney for Christina Blazik is sharing her account of what happened to Nancy Ng while out kayaking. She tried to tell her not to swim, 
because it was rough out there and there was a good current. This video is the last known one of Ying as she headed out on Lake Adelon in Guatemala on October 19th. The 29-year-old was on a yoga retreat when she disappeared. Blazik, a San Bernardino County public defender, was also on the lake. Through her attorney, she says despite her warning, Ying went for a swim, in the process pushing her kayak away into the water, which Blazik then tried to retrieve. She kept one leg in her kayak and one leg in the other kayak and tried to get back to her um, and got close to her. Mm -hmm. uh, and then apparently she lost the kayak again and she turned around to go back to get the kayak again. And when she turned back around, Miss Ing was gone. For Ing's family, it's the first time they say they've heard Blazik's account after several attempts to reach her. If it is like she says and it's an accident, I don't understand how she could choose to leave my family in the dark for almost four weeks and not just say that from the start. <laughs> As for rumors that Blazik fled Guatemala without speaking to authorities, her attorney and Ing's family both agree that's not what happened. She went and, and was told she needed to go talk to the police. And she went and gave a full statement to Guatemalan police. I hope she could understand that we have no account of what happened because she is the only person that saw what happened and it wasn't included in the report. Blazik's attorney says his client has since spoken to the FBI after learning Guatemalan officials wanted to speak to her again. Ng's family says some of the people on the retreat have also reached out, but they are still hoping to hear directly from Blazik about what happened on the lake. Guatemalan authorities have closed Nancy's missing person case and cited her death as by drowning. Search efforts by the Ng family continue. They have a GoFundMe page, which I'll link in the description below. Funds are currently going towards search efforts, and they also have an Instagram account devoted to keeping people updated, sharing loving memories, and spreading awareness for Nancy's disappearance. It is at Help Us Find Nancy, and they also are asking anyone with information to come forward. Last summer, we covered the murder of 17-year-old Riley Whitelaw. She was killed by her co-worker while at work at a Colorado Walgreens. The man who killed her is the now 29-year-old Joshua Johnson. Yeah, but Heather, that judge said there is substantial evidence to prove that this was a deliberate murder. Evidenced by the playing of surveillance video, that same judge called, quote, chilling, which allegedly shows 28-year-old Joshua Johnson stacking nine crates in front of a security camera inside the Walgreens store that night. They say that happened 15 minutes before he allegedly stabbed 17-year-old Riley Whitelaw. Both were working inside Walgreens at that time. Stalking. That's how a judge described the behavior of Joshua Johnson towards his co-worker Riley Whitelaw. Prosecutors say Johnson knew the combinations to staff lockers, including those of Riley Whitelaw and her boyfriend. Inside Johnson's locker were social security numbers of Whitelaw and her boyfriend, according to testimony by Colorado Springs police detectives. Johnson told detectives when he was arrested that he, quote, had a small crush on Riley, but it didn't go anywhere. Detectives say Johnson stabbed her inside the break room where they both worked, a Walgreens in northwest Colorado Springs in early June. Here Inside the Colorado Springs Walgreens, signs of remembrance still remain over three months since Riley's death. Johnson stalked and harassed the teenager for months prior to her murder. Riley had approached management multiple times about the harassment, but the management team at Walgreens didn't do anything to protect the minor. Johnson's trial began on October 1st and lasted five days. Johnson's defense was that Riley had been attacked by another man and he ran away in fear, slipping in Riley's blood on the way. 
which would account for why, when he was located walking a highway near the Walgreens, he was covered in blood. The jury deliberated for an hour and came back with a guilty verdict. He was sentenced that same day to life in prison. He didn't speak nor apologize to those there to see justice for Riley's murder. A California man has been arrested and charged in connection to three murders. This is still a developing story with limited information at this point in time, but here's what we do know. 35-year-old Samuel Haskell IV was arrested after the dismembered torso of his wife, 37-year-old May Lee Haskell, was found in a dumpster. May, along with her parents, were last seen on November 6. However, friends of May said that she stopped responding to messages on November 5th, which was unusual. May's parents lived with her and Sam, along with their three children. A man had been dumpster diving and found a woman's torso. The dumpster was only five miles from the Haskell home, and CCTV footage shows a man getting out of a white SUV and carrying what appears to be a heavy bag into the dumpster the day before its discovery. The person reporting the crime calling from outside the LAPD Topanga station. The radio call on November 7th at about 5.30 p.m. Uh, involved a suspicious uh, um, bag that possibly contained a uh, human remains. When the officers responded, uh, nothing was located. The LAPD hasn't confirmed details on who made that initial call, but say when they returned to the home Wednesday, they found blood inside. What investigators did not find were missing family members, May Lee, and her parents. The following morning when I understood that she and her parents were missing, I mean, my heart dropped, um, completely shocked. Samuel is the son of former Hollywood producer and CEO of the Miss America pageant, Samuel Haskell III. His mother is a former Miss Mississippi. Authorities quickly arrested Samuel, who was found only a few hours after the discovery of the torso. Authorities were alerted to Sam's involvement when there were reports from day laborers Sam had tried to hire to move four heavy trash bags. Sam had told them that the bags had been filled with rocks, but the bags didn't feel like rocks. And one of the workers opened the bag to find body parts. Sam said that the body parts were part of a horror film production, and they left the bags and the home and called law enforcement. When law enforcement arrived, they didn't see anything out of the ordinary, and the bags were gone, so there wasn't anything they could do at that time. However, after the discovery of the torso, the LAPD were able to obtain a search warrant and discovered a significant amount of blood evidence within the home. At this time, Sam Haskell has been arrested and is being held on a $2 million bail while the investigation continues. So far, only the torso of who they believe is May has been found so far. Her parents' bodies have not been discovered, but law enforcement believe they are deceased. Samuel is being held on suicide watch and has so far pleaded not guilty to the three murder charges. He faces life in prison if convicted or possibly even the death penalty. His next court appearance is scheduled for December 8th. The three sons are in custody of their paternal grandparents. At this point in time, the motive is unclear, but there are reports that Sam had been acting paranoid and odd before his arrest. Samuel collected samurai swords, machetes, and other bladed weapons. He had threatened a childhood friend with a machete when the two had gotten into an argument recently. May is remembered as a loving and outgoing woman. She often hosted dinner parties with neighbors, and she loved being surrounded by friends and family. The community is shocked and is mourning the loss of a beloved friend. 
And now for our last case. Joyce Pavetti was doing yard work in early October when she noticed an unpleasant smell in the air. Initially, she and her husband had assumed the stench was from a decaying animal nearby. However, over the next few days, the smell got worse. They thought the smell might have been coming from their neighbor, the Return to Nature Funeral Home. But that didn't make much sense. They had assumed the company had been closed, as it had been months since they'd seen anyone in or out of the building. When the smell started to get unbearable, they called the Fremont County Sheriff's Office, and an officer came to check it out. Within days, the FBI and state and federal agencies descended onto the property. When a search warrant had been executed for the property, it was an unimaginable, horrific nightmare. Over a hundred human bodies were discovered decaying and improperly stored in what is being described as a, quote, hazardous way. The property owners, funeral directors John and Carrie Hallford, were arrested in Oklahoma on suspicion of committing abuse of a corpse, theft, money laundering, and forgery. The Hallfords owned two properties in Colorado, one in Penrose, where the bodies were discovered, and the other in Colorado Springs. They started the business in 2017, but it was soon discovered that they had lost their license to operate funeral services in 2022. However, they continued operating for a year afterward. After the arrest, the significant task of identifying the remains started. There were nearly 200 bodies on the property, and through dental records, some were quick to identify. But when officers approached the next of kin for the identification, They were shocked to learn that many of these people believed that their loved one had been cremated. In fact, they had their ashes, leading investigators to ask the question, who or what was in these urns? We will never know what our families are actually carrying. Some of them may be concrete dust. Some of them may be other things. We won't ever know, so it can't even describe the emotions our families are going through. Christina Page, whose family was among those decedents found inside the funeral home last month. Law enforcement also discovered that the Hallfords were being sued by a local crematory and various vendors for unpaid bills. So far, 190 bodies have been found, and of those, 110 have been identified. Colorado called a state of emergency, which allowed them to open up for assistance from the federal government and also get assistance from other states to make sure all of the victims' remains were cremated and returned to their loved ones. Carrie and John Halford are being held while they await formal charges. They are being held on a $2 million bond. At least one family has filed a lawsuit against the funeral home. Well, folks... We've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.